Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. This podcast is sponsored by Llama Naturals. I learned about Llama Naturals a few months ago, and I honestly wish someone had told me about them sooner. I always recommend that people get their vitamins from whole food sources, not synthetics. But I could never find a good option for my kids, until I found Llama Naturals. They have a full line of delicious gummies that are made with real fruit, no added sugar or sweeteners, plus vitamins from whole foods. They are USDA organic, vegan, gluten-free, and allergen-free. Plus, they are seriously delicious. You can save 20% off your first order by going to llamanaturals.com and using the coupon code JUST. J-U-S-T. My whole family loves them, but if you have a picky eater, they offer a money-back guarantee. Seriously, you should at least go to their site and compare their label against any other gummy brand out there. They are the best I've found. Again, it's llamanaturals.com. Dr. James DiNicola Antonio is a doctor of pharmacy and a cardiovascular research scientist, a well-respected and internationally known scientist, and an expert on health and nutrition. He has contributed extensively to health policy and has testified in front of the Canadian Senate regarding the harms of added sugars. He serves as the associate editor of the British Medical Journal's Open Heart, a journal published in partnership with the British Cardiovascular Society, and is on the editorial advisory boards of several other medical journals. Dr. Antonio is the author and co-author of over 250 publications in the medical literature. He also is the author of five best-selling health books, The Salt Fix, Superfuel, The Longevity Solution, The Immunity Fix, and The Mineral Fix. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Dr. James D-I-N-I-C, so Dr. James D-Nick, and on Facebook. You can visit his website at drjamesdnick.com. I am so honored to have Dr. James Antonio here with me on the show. Thank you so much for being here. I really uh, honor and respect everything that you teach and do, and I love following you on Instagram, and I have loved learning about salt from you, and I'm so excited to pick your brain. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. So before I start asking you a ton about um, salt, Tell my listeners just a little bit about you, your background, how you got studying things like salt, anything that would help them get to know you. Sure. So I'm a doctor of pharmacy as well as a cardiovascular research scientist. Most of my research in the medical literature has been on nutrition, um, a lot on salt and other minerals, but um, also just you know on macronutrients and things like that as well. And really the, the passion for uh, researching and studying and writing the salt fix was when I was actually practicing as a community pharmacist. I was having a lot of my patients uh, suffering from a lot of adverse effects from their doctors telling them to go on a low salt diet or putting them on uh, a diuretic that caused salt and, and fluid depletion to lower their blood pressure. And so typically um, when these individuals started adding back a normal amount of salt, all those symptoms went away. So I think from that uh, from this sort of mismatch between what doctors were recommending to their patients and how that was actually leading to worse outcomes sort of led me to, to dig, go into the low salt rabbit hole, so to speak. 
talking about that, people often talk negatively about salt. And I think maybe some of that stems from what doctors are telling them, like you said. Why does everybody think that they need to watch their salt intake? I sort of go through the history of where most of us got the idea that a normal amount of salt uh, is harmful. And really, there were a few key players, just kind of very, the history parallels the demonization of saturated fat very similarly. There seems to be a few key players that look at observational data. So for example, in the salt realm, it was really Lewis Dahl, who was one of the largest proponents of salt being harmful to blood pressure. He actually had to create salt sensitive uh, rats in order for salt to even increase blood pressure chronically because he couldn't do it in normal rats. And so he actually had to interbreed them to actually become salt sensitive. So that tells you something that in a normal population of rats, he couldn't even do it. And then he would kind of use observational data like Ansel Keys used the six country study to demonize saturated fat, where he, he actually took six countries as well and said, as the population intake of salt increased, the prevalence of high blood pressure increased. And then, of course, this led into the dietary goals in 1977 that everyone should be on a low salt diet, which then gets translated to the 1980 dietary guidelines. And then that has been updated ever since without really questioning where does this actual evidence stem from for population-wide salt restriction. But what's interesting is decades later, they did the inter-salt study where they looked at 48 countries instead of the six that Lewis Dahl looked at. And essentially there was actually a trend down where as salt intake increased to a normal amount, blood pressure actually decreased. So it, it really stems from these poor obs- observational sort of cherry picking studies. That is so interesting. So do you think our dietary guidelines will change as we have new studies or that's a big thing in process that will take a while? They've slowly started to change. So actually they originally weren't even that bad. It was sort of the original guidelines were sort of to consume a moderate amount of salt. And it really got bad around 2005, where the American Heart Association started recommending less than a half a teaspoon, essentially less than uh, about 12 to 1500 milligrams of sodium. And now it's slowly starting to um, get less restrictive because of all the studies that have come out, like the PURE study and um, other studies in hundreds of thousands of participants where showing that uh, higher urinary sodium excretion, which is an indicator of dietary intake, is actually associated with the lowest risk of dying in cardiovascular disease. So they're starting to sort of lift some of those um, blanket statements because the evidence is starting to show that it's actually having the opposite effects as intended. So interesting. I know there's a lot of confused people out there about salt. For me personally, I find this interesting. My dad had a heart attack over 40 years ago. And when he did, they said, you need to lower your salt intake. So what did my mom do? She got rid of all salt in our home. So I grew up with no salt in the home. We couldn't even put it on our food. I know, you know, there's other people of my generation as well that are confused on salt. So I'm glad to hear that they're loosening those restrictions But now tell my followers, what are the health benefits of salt? Because there are benefits to it. Right. Well, the first key benefit is that salt is made up of two essential minerals, sodium and chloride. 
Chloride is interesting because it helps make up hydrochloric acid, which is needed to not only digest food and absorb nutrients, but it's also there to inhibit and kill pathogens. And numerous studies have shown if you go on a low salt diet, that actually reduces stomach acid and increases the pH of the stomach. So first line of defense against pathogens that you ingest is stomach acid. So if you're reducing that, you're potentially increasing the risk of pathogens entering the body and you are increasing the risk of numerous nutrient depletions because you can't digest your food as well. Uh, chloride is also used by the immune system to uh, kill pathogens. It's some, uh, one of the, the white blood cells secrete something called hypochlorous acid, which needs chloride. And we have to get that through the diet, through salt intake, and that helps to kill pathogens as well. So the immune system actually utilizes uh, chloride to help kill pathogens. And there's something called taurine chloramine, which taurine combines with chloride again from salt to actually then calm cytokine storms after the immune system has sort of um, bombed out the pathogen. So the body uses chloride for a lot of um, pathogenic type of uh, things, functions, whereas sodium is used for maintaining, you know, electrical currents. So the muscles don't spasm. So the heart beats, it gives you a blood pressure, which we all need. We, we're so, you know, used to the doctor saying, you know, high blood pressure, high blood pressure, this, but we need blood pressure. And there's a lot of people who, um, when they go on a low salt diet, they get very dizzy going from a seated to a standing position. So exercise performance goes down, sleep uh, is reduced in regards to the quality of sleep. And even getting to sleep is impaired on a low salt intake because the stress hormones like noradrenaline, adrenaline, aldosterone, renin, angiotensin are all dramatically increased on a low salt diet. So salt helps keep our stress hormones down. It helps with exercise performance, um, gives us energy. So I think, you know, from that perspective, it's an extremely important mineral. Well, there's so many health benefits. And I find this interesting because I was just talking to a doctor recently who said a lot of American stomach acid is low, that they need more of it to properly digest their food. And here you are saying it's connected to salt, but then so many doctors are saying lower your salt intake. So that's so interesting. And for you to say that it helps with stress, amazing, because Americans, the majority of us are overstressed. And so here again, we should be increasing our salt intake, correct? Right. And I think we forget about all the factors that can cause us, our bodies to lose salt. Um, typically the healthiest things that we can do, uh, such as eating unprocessed foods, um, are going to be low in salt automatically. And then exercising is going to cause salt loss through sweat. And so when we start participating in these um, healthy things for our bodies, whether it's eating on un unprocessed foods or exercising, that automatically increases your need for salt. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, I wanna ask you a few things how salt really helps specific health issues. So for instance, does salt help somebody with their sugar cravings? There have been studies where they will deplete animals of salt and then they will give them an addictive substance or a controlled medication uh, like Adderall or they'll give them cocaine and there will be a greater basically dopamine response. So it basically makes addictive substances more addictive. Um, and the reason why it does this is because if you were to have become depleted in salt, 
how would an animal or how would uh, early humans, how would they have known to actually get this essential mineral? There has to be some brain connection telling the body to go get salt if you're depleted. And, and, and what ends up happening is you end up hyperactivating the reward center in the brain when you don't have enough salt mm. and things that are addictive, like refined sugars, um, controlled substances, um, get a greater dopamine response when you don't have enough salt. So it makes those things more addictive. That is so, so interesting. It, it is. It is very interesting. And there's this parallel between the taste receptors on the tongue for sweet and for salt and whereas you will get an aversion signal if you have too much salt, things will taste too salty. That doesn't happen with sugar. The more sugar you consume, the actually the more you crave. So I've noticed that in a lot of uh, people that I talk to, if they just drink something like pickle juice or if they up their salt intake, their sugar cravings go down. And that's probably because the hyperactivation of the reward center in the brain, it goes down once you start consuming more salt. Wow. I love hearing that. Okay. So now let's take another health issue. Does salt play a role in mental health, depression, anxiety? So almost every single neurotransmitter in the brain, in order for it to move in and out of the cell, requires sodium or chloride. So the body uses those two uh, minerals to move a lot of molecules in and out of the cell of the body. And so what's also interesting is the fact that sodium is required to drive vitamin C into the brain and help to reduce oxidative stress in the brain. And a lot of people who have mood issues or depression, they actually have an increase in oxidative stress in the brain. So driving vitamin C into any organ is dependent on having enough sodium. For example, you can actually induce osteoporosis in animals by simply dropping their blood sodium level because it prevents vitamin C from going into the bone. So from that aspect, sodium is extremely important for our neurotransmitters in the brain to work. I just had an aha moment because here I grew up in this house with no salt. I mean, we couldn't bake with salt. We couldn't use salt for anything. And um, if you know my back history, 15 years ago, you know, I had severe suicidal depression and I'm like, oh my goodness, I probably was so low in salt and had no idea. So that's fascinating. I think, yeah, I think it is a, a potential issue for a lot of people. That's good to know. Okay, let's go to the next one. What about hormones? Does salt have a role with hormones? Yeah, salt definitely has a role um, in regards to hormones. Um I think probably the, if we talk, if we're talking about like adrenals uh, and how low salt can actually harm the adrenal glands, essentially it's a stressor on the adrenal glands because they have to constantly produce something called aldosterone in order to retain salt. And that can lead to hypertrophy of the adrenal glands, which can eventually lead to burnout. And so, you know, a lot of this adrenal fatigue and these issues with hormone function um, can absolutely be caused by low salt. And in fact, in order to get iodine into the thyroid gland, so we can make thyroid hormones, you need sodium to then pull iodine into the actual thyroid gland. So uh, low salt diets can actually reduce thyroid hormone production 
which can obviously lead to weight gain simply. So it's, it's pretty interesting how a lack of salt can drive a deficiency of iodine in the thyroid gland and lead to hypothyroidism. That is really interesting. Salt is so important, more so than people realize, I think. Okay, you touched upon um, athletic performance a little bit. You touched upon exercise. So does salt improve athletic performance, help it? What's its role? So it absolutely does. And depending on what, what type of exercise you're doing will determine how you can maximize the benefits of salt. So it's, for example, if you're performing exercise that is going to get your body to a critical temperature, uh, typically around 39 Celsius. So if you're doing very high performance uh, with multiple intervals, or if you're exercising in the heat, then taking salt solutions about 90 minutes before competition, and you slowly consume them over 60 minutes, has been shown to increase exercise duration up to about 21 minutes compared to not doing that, which is a tremendous increase in exercise capacity, about 10 to 20 times more than any uh, pre-workout supplement like beta alanine or beetroot juice could ever do. If you're doing more moderate exercise that's prolonged, let's say you are just jogging for an hour, uh, simply not as high of salt solutions uh, in the previous studies that I had mentioned, that's using an isotonic amount of salt. Basically, the saltiness of your blood is what's being consumed in these fluids. If you're doing a moderate type of exercise performance, uh, simply uh, maybe around 800 milligrams of sodium uh, per hour with matching fluid loss, uh, which is typically about one liter per hour at a moderate intensity exercise can uh, improve hydration. So obviously reduce dehydration by doing that. Um, replace obviously the salt that is being lost, which is typically around that amount around 800 to 1200 milligrams of sodium per hour of moderate exercise. Oh, really? I didn't realize it was that much. It's much higher at, hot, at hotter temperature. So 800 to 1200 is typically what's going to happen around 70 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Whereas if you start getting into the 85 to 95, you can get up to a full teaspoon or 2300 milligrams of sodium loss per hour in sweat. Wow. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that really helps those that are exercising and even just the moderate athlete, you know, the one just trying to move their body for exercise or for the health benefits. So that's really good to know. Is there a point though, that you have taken in too much salt? Is it possible to take in too much salt? It is possible to take in too much salt if you are salt sensitive, which is typically driven by three or four primary factors. One being insulin resistance, um, the second one being low magnesium intake, third being low potassium intake, and the fourth uh, having a high dietary acid load. Those four factors, if you fix those and you don't have some rare genetic issue, will probably fix about 99% of people who are actually salt sensitive. And in people who are not salt sensitive, there's been studies giving up to 100 grams of salt, and that does not even increase blood pressure significantly. And the typical intake is only 10 grams. So it takes a very, very high amount of salt to actually lead to a large increase in blood pressure if you're not salt sensitive. And so it's really just fix fixing those underlying conditions. And then most people would not have an issue with a normal intake of salt. So will people pee out excess salt or no? Yeah. Yeah. So if 
the studies show that if you are not salt sensitive, you can give people up to 100 grams of salt and they simply will just pee out what they don't need and there will not be a significant rise in blood pressure. So it's really for just the people who are salt sensitive where uh, there's retention of that salt and that's due to the usually not getting enough magnesium, potassium or being insulin resistant. So what does the American Heart Association recommend for the amount of salt versus what you recommend? people should have per day? They typically recommend around less than a half a teaspoon of salt per day with no minimum intake necessary. Like they just say less than as if we don't need a minimum amount of this essential mineral to live, which uh, for any mineral, you have to have a recommendation of a minimal intake and they don't even do that. It's just a less than sign, which is, which is pretty scary. Um, what, what the studies show that is associated with the lowest risk of dying as well as the lowest risk of heart disease is really about one and a half teaspoons of salt per day. So basically a full teaspoon more than what the American Heart Association essentially recommends. Wow. And that's the minimum recommended? That is getting close to an optimal intake, about one and a half teaspoons of salt in order, because it's associated with the lowest rates of heart disease and risk of dying. That is so interesting to me that that's related to the lower lowest risk of dying and heart issues, but yet the American Heart Association won't raise that up. Right. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is any salt okay? Or is there a difference between table salt versus sea salt? What are your thoughts on that? So I think in general, it's much better to get an appropriate amount of salt, even if it's regular table salt compared to not getting enough. So basically sodium chloride is an important part. And if it's, if you can't get unrefined salts, it's better to get table salts versus being deficient in salt. So that's, that's important. Um, are there benefits to unrefined salts? Yes. Certain salts um, like Himalayan pink salts, um, like Redmond real salt, they do contain iodine. The range, you know, depends on the location, um, Redmond typically has about 170 micrograms of iodine per 10 grams of salt, which is good because we typically lose about 50 micrograms of iodine per hour of exercise. Mm. And so if you're consuming salt that doesn't bring in the iodine and your diet is deficient, you can slowly become depleted in iodine through sweat. And that can lead to hypothyroidism. Interesting. And I do love that the pink Himalayan salt and the Redmond salt both have a lot of trace minerals as well, besides just the iodine. Yeah, I would say, so it depends on the type of salt in regards to if the amount is clinically relevant. So in regards to the pink Himalayans, they have clinically relevant amounts of iodine typically. Um, when it comes to magnesium, usually you have things like the uh, Celtic salts, um, there are Icelandic salts, and there are some Australian salts that can give you upwards of 180 milligrams of magnesium per uh, normal oh, wow. salt. So you sort of have to mix and match if you are looking for clinically relevant amounts. Yes, Himalayan pink salts do have about 80, up to 80 trace minerals, but typically most are pretty inconsequential besides iodine. Okay, so can I ask you about a few myths? Because I feel like there's a lot of salt myths out there and we all believe a lot of people believe them as fact. So what about salt and water retention? Because I mean, we hear the one about high blood pressure, which you've addressed, but then you hear a lot like 
Well, you don't want to take in a lot of salt because that, you know, contributes to the water retention. Right. So in order for water to be retained in the vasculature to lead to an increase in blood volume, serum sodium has to be elevated chronically to then draw the fluid into the vasculature. But that doesn't happen. The body controls sodium levels very well. Uh, the white crystal that does stay elevated is sugar or glucose. It's really over-consuming sugar that leads to a chronic elevation in glucose that pulls water into the vasculature and chronically elevates blood pressure. So it's, we've, we keep blaming all these things, especially blood pressure and the raw hung white crystal. It's really <laughs> the refined sugar, not the salt. Oh, that's so interesting. No, yeah. No one really talks about it being sugar. They just say it, it's your salt. Okay. So, right. So then along with that myth, then why do pregnant women, why do like OBGYNs tell them to watch their salt? Another myth? So yeah, that's another huge myth. In fact, because you're carrying a baby, you need more blood volume. So there's some really good studies and I, and I cover those in the salt fix where giving more salt to women who are pregnant dramatically improved miscarriage rates, preterm labor, uh, preeclampsia. So because pregnancy is a blood volume depletion state, because blood is flowing now to you know, the, the growing child. So you need more blood volume essentially in pregnancy. So I think because again, the whole sort of tying in with a lot of people believing that salt leads to high blood pressure and that pregnancy can lead to high blood pressure and preeclampsia, they sort of do the A to B, B to C extrapolation and think that actually low salt will help to reduce high blood pressure in pregnancy. And in fact, it can make things worse. Do you think these doctors and OBGYNs and well, and all doctors, I should say, are some of them learning about salt and the health benefits of it, or we still have a long road ahead of us? I think we still definitely have a long road ahead of us, but I do think that there are certain doctors that want to educate themselves beyond what they learned in school. And it's typically those doctors that start, you know, getting into health and nutrition because they're not taught nutrition, at least not more than about four hours in medical school. So really that information has to come from their drive to educate themselves beyond what they, the classroom, so to speak. Gotcha. Okay. I still have a couple more myths for you. What about salt and kidneys? Like you hear, you know, too much salt is bad for the kidneys. So what about that one? Right. One of the biggest myths is that a high salt diet will increase the calcium in the urine and increase the risk of kidney stones. And in fact, the exact opposite is true. Uh, the biggest risk factor for kidney stones is actually not drinking enough fluid. And cl clinical studies have shown that giving more salt to people increases their fluid intake and dramatically reduces kidney stone formation. Hmm. Uh, so there's this myth that high salt diets or normal salt intakes will increase risk of kidney stones. And it's actually the opposite. And farmers have known this for years. They, they have known that uh, giving more salt to their animals reduces kidney stone formation. And then in regards to harming the kidneys itself, low salt diets have actually been shown to lead to acute kidney failure because you have to have good blood flow to the kidneys. Otherwise the kidneys can become ischemic, essentially lack of blood flow and die. And numerous studies have shown that if you put people on very low salt intakes for, and it depends on the person, how sensitive they are, it can actually lead to um, acute kidney failure because of the lack of blood flow to the kidneys. So 
again, if someone isn't salt sensitive, and if they are fix those underlying issues, salt is actually beneficial to the kidneys. Okay, that's good to know. Okay, another one, heart health. And this one I'm so curious to know about. So obviously we know the American Heart Association puts it at a lower level of what salt amount you should have each day. But why is there that myth that it is harmful for heart health? Just due to the high blood pressure? Is that the major? It is. So they hyper-focused on blood pressure. And in the salt fix, I sort of explain how a better marker of the stress on the heart is actually heart rate multiplied by blood pressure. And almost everyone who reduces their salt intake will have a significant rise in heart rate, where when you multiply those two together, heart rate and blood pressure, it's actually typically much worse on a low salt intake than a normal salt intake. And then these institutions and these guidelines, they don't look beyond blood pressure. Even if they look at heart rate, um, that's a rare occurrence. But if you start looking at all the stress hormones like aldosterone, renin, angiotensin II, things we block with medications to prevent deaths and cardiovascular events are all dramatically increased on a low salt intake. Um, so when you take into account heart rate increasing, all the stress hormones increasing, and the fact that low salt diets can lead to insulin resistance and significant elevations in insulin, you can see that almost every single surrogate marker is actually worsened on a low salt intake, except potentially blood pressure. That is so fascinating to me. It's crazy mm-hmm. that we haven't fixed this yet in our system. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Let's talk about potassium because I hear out in the health world that you've got to have this certain sodium to potassium ratio. I mean, is that correct info or no? It's def- there's definitely truth to that. I think the key takeaway is you don't want to have a potassium intake of three grams or less. You really want to be above three grams. And if you get above three grams, it seems that a normal salt intake isn't really that big of an issue for most people. So does potassium help keep your sodium levels regular, like help regulate it? Correct. So essentially when you are not getting at least three grams of potassium or more, you can start over retaining salt. Okay. So potassium is just as important or as important too, I should say. Yeah. Okay. So how do you recommend to others to get more salt into their diet? I think if someone is consuming an un- unprocessed whole foods, they're going to lack the salt now that we used to get through, you know, blood and interstitial fluids that were very salty. And so just simply adding salt to taste is probably the easiest way to just get the salt back. Oh, my husband's going to be so happy to hear that because when we were first married, he just loved to salt his food and coming from a home with no salt, it was like this conflict in our home because I'd be like, no, you shouldn't salt your food. So He will be so happy to hear that. Okay. What about like rehydration drinks? Yeah. Rehydration drinks are all about one tenth of the amount of salt that they should have. They're way too low. Really? Because they don't boost, they do not boost blood volume at all. And most of them aren't, most of them are about one fifth the amount that you need to even replace what's lost through sweat. Um, I think it's just a lack of understanding, um, physiology during exercise and how much salt is lost and how much is needed to boost blood volume. And I think it's a very, there's just a very set niche amount of people that really understand how much salt should be in 
like a hydration or pre-exercise or post-exercise drink. Wow. Okay. So I shout out Relight, which is a rehydration drink from Redmond. And all the time people tell me that has way too much salt. I'm not going to take that. So now you're no. saying they're not, it's not even close to the amount. Well, uh, for most uh, hydration, like your Gatorades and your Powerades, for example, they're about one tenth of the salt that you need. So correct, uh, you know, taking um, higher salt pre-workouts is actually typically what you want to do. And, and it's really, you want to match the saltiness of the blood in order to best absorb the salt and in, in, in order to increase the blood volume. Because what happens with exercise is there's this competition between blood flowing to working muscle and then blood that needs to go to the skin to then dissipate heat. So you are actually in a state of volume depletion during exercise. So if you can boost blood volume prior to exercise with something that is isotonic or the same saltiness as your blood, then you can sort of get ahead of that problem. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. I'm so excited for my listeners to hear this because it is seriously a daily debate with them. They're constantly telling me it's too much salt. Okay. Right. So, but talking about those Powerades and Gatorades and things, they've got a lot of sugar in those. Right. So the sugar is going to affect our health, obviously. Right. So that's why a lot of them are starting to come out with like these, you know, Gatorade zero or um, Powerade zero, where they're trying to go now and cut down on the sugar intake or have no sugar because for the longest time they were probably too high in sugar. And so it is a problem for, and it doesn't seem at least not in for most athletic performance that glucose needs to be there. Um, it's primarily it's this amount of salt and fluid that is going to determine how well you can perform. Okay. So not the sugar, the high amounts of sugar, right? Let's talk about sugar just really quick, because I know you talk about it on your Instagram account. Are you okay with sugar in moderation or you think we get way too much sugar in America? Well, we definitely get too much sugar in general and particularly in children. I mean, some children eat more than their body weight in sugar every year. And it does seem to be a huge issue, especially in kids. And of course, in adults too, because it's hidden everywhere. I mean, most people's sugar intake isn't like dumping sugar on their cereals. It's typically hidden already and they don't even realize they're getting it. So, so we, we are definitely consuming too much. Is getting some refined sugar, maybe less than 20 to 30 grams. Okay. If you don't, if it doesn't lead to overconsumption, potentially, um, it can still lead to dental caries. Um, you have to get the intake down to less than 5% of total calories for there not to be a significant increase in cavities. So even from that perspective, a moderate amount is not healthy for the teeth and may not even be healthy for the intestinal tract, even if it doesn't lead to like weight gain and things like that. So there's really no need for it. I don't understand. I don't, I wouldn't understand how someone could argue to consume a moderate amount of refined sugar versus just getting like a moderate amount of like fruit or berries and getting sugar the natural way. What I find fascinating is we get too much sugar, which we shouldn't, but we get not enough salt, which we should get more salt. So it's like, we need to have more salt, less sugar, but we have it opposite in America. 
Right. And what, what's funny is that, you know, the body can produce glucose. So technically in order to live, we do not need dietary exogenous sugar, but we absolutely need exogenous salt. Now that's not to say that consuming uh, 100 to 200 grams of whole food carbohydrates isn't going to have some benefits, especially in athletes. It absolutely will. But the key is that there is a zero need for eating refined sugar. Yeah, I, I agree. Okay. So other than adding in more salt and removing sugar or, or having less sugar, what other tips would you give to people who are wanting to live a healthier lifestyle? Well, sort of what I try to do is I think it depends on, you know, how active someone is, where they're starting. Are you extremely lean and muscular? Uh, then there's probably no need to do intermittent fasting. If you're starting being severely overweight, then just the timing and how frequently you consume your meals will probably matter. So it's almost like if you're this high performing person, don't fast, fuel your workouts and don't worry about sort of time restricted eating. If you're someone who doesn't like to move a lot, then you're probably someone who's going to benefit by eating in a smaller window of time and less frequently. So I think taking that into consideration is important. And then once you can separate out those two people, everyone should be consuming whole foods. And whether you're plant-based or animal-based, I think everyone would benefit from having at least 20% of their caloric intake coming from animal foods, because there are certain nutrients that you cannot get from plant foods that you have to get through either animal foods or supplements. And from a, like just being able to hit the RDA for protein, it's very difficult if you're to do that, if you're not consuming at least 20% of your calories from animal foods. Yeah, I agree. Nothing against vegans. I think it's great. They can do it, but I tried it for a few weeks and my protein was so low and I kept trying to boost it and it is really hard to do. So I agree right. with that. Thank you so much for joining me today and teaching my followers about salt and answering some of those myths, because I know salt can be really confusing to people. So thank you for taking your time. I always end my show with asking my guests what they think the best ingredient in life is. What would you say the best ingredient in life is? And maybe we should say it can't be salt because I know salt would be your answer. Yeah, I guess if we're talking about like a yeah, dietary additive, right? Salt would, would certainly be up there. Um, I think if we're talking about removing something, I would say negative people because I think your, your thoughts and the people that are around you can have a dramatic impact on your health. So I think, you know, being more positive and, and getting rid of some of those negative people in your life, it's not something we tend to focus on, but it actually can have a pretty dramatic effect on your health. I love that. I agree. Having positive energy around you is actually really good for your health. And they've even shown scientific studies about the positive energy around you. So thank you for sharing that. Um, tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can find your books, things like that. Sure. So my books are on Amazon. Um, and my website is Dr. James Dinick. So that's Dr. D-R James Dinick, D-I-N-I-C.com. They can find out more about me and my research uh, at the website. And then I'm pretty active on social, particularly Instagram, which is at Dr. James Dinick. 
If you guys don't follow him on Instagram, do so now. He is one of my favorite follows. I love that you make it really simple. I love your list. Like every day I'll wake up and it's like five things to do to be healthier, five things to add in, or, you know, just your lists are really nice and helpful. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate that you're trying to educate more people about living a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. Thank you. So again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.